Welcome back to Asante Church. We are in our third week of our sermon series, Lemons, where God takes the lemons in our life and he turns them into lemonade. So we looked at the life of Daniel and how God did that in the life of Daniel. Last week, we looked at the book of Job, how God did that in the life of Job. And Jacob preached last Sunday. And let me tell you, the book of Job is definitely something I was glad to sit out for, okay? The book of Job is not something that's easy to navigate. And Jacob, wherever you're at, in the back there with your baby girl, all right, and your, and your baby girl, all right. <laughs> you did an awesome job, man. So proud of you. Excellent work. Today, we are in Lemons Week 3, and we are looking at the life of Abraham. So he didn't start off as Abraham. He started off as Abram. And this story starts off with Abram in Genesis chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be all over Genesis from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 22. But really to get the idea, the big picture of what's going on here, we have to look at what's taking place so far. So I'd like for us to start from the very beginning of time, okay? That's a good place to just figure out what's going on in your life. Just start when everything was started. So we see that God creates the world and everything in it, and he does it in six days. On the seventh day, he rests. We see that Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent, and they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens? Sin enters into the world. The world turns so wicked that God has to press the reset button. He calls Noah to build the biggest boat that you've ever seen, and Noah has to gather up two of every animal on, in the world and get them on that boat along with his family. And there, they are to wait out the great flood. The world, after that great flood, has one common language, and it grows and it grows and it grows. And men and women are gathered to build a tower that is so great that it will reach the heavens. But because the way back to heaven wasn't a staircase, and it was a person, God disperses those people by giving them every single different language. Their project was halted and stood still. Years pass, things only get worse and worse. People still die. There is still sin in the world. People still get sick. So what does God do? God does what only God can do, and he initiates the very beginning sequence of his rescue mission. And all of that takes place through a man named Abram, a woman named Sarai, a man whose name would soon become Abraham, and whose wife's name would soon become Sarah, and his rescue mission is launched. So we're going to take a lot of things out of this, so buckle in. It's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be a good ride. There are things that we learn from the life of Abraham that are directly applicable in the lives of us here at Asante Church. There are things that we need to know. There are things that I need to hear for my family, in my life, for my leadership of our family and of this church that come out of Genesis 12 and in the life of Abraham. So, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. That's where we're going to start off. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what does Abram do? So Abram went. 
As simple as that. The next paragraph, the next verse, Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. The first thing that we see in Abraham's life, then Abram, is that he was obedient. Abraham was obedient. Maybe you're starting to catch on to something here in this Lemon series. If you've been here all three weeks, there is something that takes place in every single one of these characters' lives, first in the life of Daniel, then in the life of Job, now in the life of Abraham. Every single one of these men are obedient. Next week, we're going to be talking about King David. King David was mostly obedient. (laughs) Abraham, as we will see today, was mostly obedient. But when God called him to do something, Abraham was obedient. We see verse 4a, first part of that fourth verse, Abraham went when God said. Abraham did not delay. What can we take from this? Something that is crucial to so many of our lives. We get it out of Psalm 119.60. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. So church, we see that delayed obedience, when it comes to the Lord and the things he tells us to do, is disobedience. Let me say that again. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Picture this with me. In the life of your family, with your loving glorious little blessings that God has given you. However many you have, or if you don't yet, or if you just watch other people's blessings, you're still going to catch on to what's going on here. You tell them to do something, and what do you expect? First rule in our house, immediate obedience. If I tell you to do something, that means do it now. Not just because I'm boss and I'm in charge, but because I know what's best for you. Now, when God tells us to do something, we obey. We follow his command. We don't say, ah, God, I'll think about it. If one of my girls, I said, hey, I need you to pick up this trash. Go put in the trash can. Ah, I'll think about it, Daddy. <laughs> you going to do what? <laughs> you going to think about it? No, we don't think in this house. <laughs> only, only your mom thinks in this house. <laughs> or what if they said, hey, I need you to put that game down, take the trash out. I was notorious for this uh, growing up. I might die. What happens if I die? Or you tell your child to do something and they say, you know what? Ah, Just not feeling that right now. It's not really me. It's not really my style. Or uh, you know what? I hear hear what you're saying. I'm just not ready for it. So I'm just going to wait until I'm ready. And if that's the trash, you're going to have a stinky house. You're going to start to get flies. It's going to be pretty horrendous. Um, What if you told your kids to do something you knew it was for their best, and they said, you know what, I, I, I would do that. I know you're telling me to do that, but that's just, that's outside of my comfort zone. It seems absolutely ridiculous when we think about our kids saying these things to us. But when we think about our relationship with God, we are so guilty of this. We are so guilty of delayed obedience over and over and over in our lives. We will process things until we're paralyzed. We will overanalyze everything that we can. Maybe it's out of our comfort zone. Maybe it's just not what we're feeling at that moment. Let me tell you, when God says to do something, we're called to do it. We're not called to delay. God is a perfect parent. God knows 
what you need. He knows what you're ready for. And let me tell you this, if God's calling you into something, you will rarely ever be ready for it. God doesn't always call the qualified. A lot of times what he does is he qualifies the called along the way. But he knows what's best for you. And he knows what he is doing in you and what he calls you into. And so when he says, do it, trust in him and do it. Verse 4, part B, we see that Abraham didn't let excuses get in the way of his obedience. Now, how old is Abraham or Abram when this takes place? Anybody remember? 75 years old. All right. Who's ready to pack up everything in their lives and move to a destination that is not Sun City or Sun City West or Sun City Grand Community at the age of 75? Mama, you can't raise your hand. You're ruining the illustration. I love you. That was awesome. What does God call Abraham to do? Get completely uncomfortable. Go dive straight into discomfort. What does he say? He says, leave your family. He says, leave your relationships. He says, leave everything that you've built up here in this land of Haran. He says, leave your comfort behind. And what does Abraham do? What does Abram do? The very next paragraph, he went. There was no delay. He went. And in all of this, in Abraham's obedience, we see that God was faithful. In this faithfulness, Abraham was a blessing and a promise. Verse 2 says, And I will make you a great nation. This man who had not yet had a single child at the age of 75 was going to be made a great nation. All right, God, how are you going to pull this off? And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever dishonors you, I will curse them. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you are a believer, if you have been adopted into the family of God this morning, then you are a part of that Abrahamic covenant. You are a part of that blessing. And as part of that blessing, that means that we are called to bless others. And when we bless others, they will be blessed. And when they bless us, they will be blessed. And those who dishonor you, guess what? You don't have to take the law into your own hands because God is going to take care of them for us. You will turn lemons and illuminate because ultimately God has adopted you in Jesus into his family. You are his child, and he has turned your lemons into lemonade. So we have to ask ourselves a few questions here, just based off of this very early stage life of Abram. And that is, he was called, God called him to do something big, something uncomfortable, to set up the rescue plan. I'm going to give you a little sneak peek. Jesus comes from Abraham's family. How awesome is that? This is the very beginning, and it starts with obedience. God may also be calling you to something. So in our lives, in the life of the church, and in our, in our lives, in our walks with Jesus, there are things that are spiritual journey no-brainers. So if you have not done one of these things, it is a no-brainer to go ahead and knock it out, because if you read God's Word, these are the next steps that He lays out for us, not just within the church, but in how He designed us as humans. The first one, if you've not given your life to Jesus, 
and incredible life-changing, the best decision that you will ever make. Next step is trusting Him as your Lord and Savior. That is salvation. That is justification. That is, I am forgiven of my sin because of the work of Jesus on the cross. I am redeemed, I am restored, and I will be transformed because of the power of the Holy Spirit that will be inside of me when I walk into this new relationship. But you have to make Jesus Lord. It means you have to make Him Master. You have to accept him and trust him as your Lord, as your Savior. So that is step one right there. If you're coming into this and you're on step zero and you don't really know what church is about, a relationship with Jesus is where it starts. The next thing, and the next thing that should happen quickly after salvation is a public profession of faith, and that is what we call baptism. We follow Jesus' example of baptism. We go public with our faith. And what baptism represents is being buried in life with Christ, dying to our old selves, and being raised to walk in a new kind of life, in a new person as the new creation that you are. And that is a symbol. Baptism doesn't wash away your sins, but we are called, as we see all throughout the early church in the book of Acts, to go public with our faith. We've made an inward decision now there needs to be an outward expression. And so as a church, we do this. And we do this in front of the body of believers that call Asante Church home. We do that so that they can help hold us accountable. Because we're not just people that go to church together. We're family. We're in this together. And when times get tough, we're going to lean on each other. And when someone starts going astray, we can say, hey, I remember the day you got baptized. I remember the day that you said you were no longer who you were, but you were new in Christ, raised to walk in a new kind of life. So if that's you, then baptism is your next step. And it is clear, and it is simple, and it is a no-brainer. Maybe it's reading your Bible. Maybe it's getting grounded in God's Word. Maybe it's serving on a team. We believe that service is a form of practical worship. Worship is so much more than coming and listening to our awesome worship band every Sunday. It's more than singing to K-Love in your car with hopefully the windows up. Some of you, windows cracked, acceptable. Service is practical worship. We don't want to be a church that is full of consumers, that comes and we sit and we take in and we take in and we take in and we never put back in to what God is doing right here. For some of you, maybe that ne next step is joining uh, a home group. Maybe that next step is living in community. As Jacob said earlier, we are not designed to live life alone. That is an easy next step. We have home groups that you can be a part of. We hang out as men's and women's ministries all the time. Or maybe for some of you, it's just living generously. It's saying, God, I receive these resources that you have entrusted to me. I'm going to entrust them back to you to help further the mission and advance the gospel right here in my local church. Back in the day, they said 10%. 10% of your income is what goes to God. Well, Jesus came, he fulfilled the law and the prophets, and we were set free from that old law. And so now we don't live to tithe and just do what was mandatory for them, but now we have the purpose of living generously. And I would say, put God to the test. The only place in the Bible God says you can put him to the test is in your finances, that you can trust him, and he will blow your mind with it. All right? If you're giving nothing, what does it look like to give something? If you're giving something, what's it look like to give 1% of your annual income? If you're giving 1%, what's 2% look like? If 2, what's 5% look like? 5, what does 10% look like? 
All right, now we're taking care of what used to be mandatory. For me and my family, I say we want to live generously, and I want to lead our family so that one day when we stand before God, I can say I didn't do just what was mandatory for the Jewish people back then, but I went above and beyond. We gave more. We gave 1% more than what was expected. We gave 2% more. We fought to give even more than that. And so it's not about am I just living up to this standard of 10%, am I doing that, but it is am I all in? Do I love my money or do I love God? Am I trusting him with the resources that he's entrusted to me? It's perfectly acceptable to start small, put God to the test, and let him blow you away in your giving. See what he does with it. See the lives that he changes with it. Maybe it's just a next step relationally. Maybe it's just introduce yourself to the person next door. Maybe it's just the awkward invitation of inviting your neighbors over for dinner and not really knowing what to do or what to talk about, but just taking that first step to start a relationship. Maybe God's calling you to forgive that one person that did that one thing that completely derailed your life or that derailed it enough just to put it off track. Maybe God's calling you to invite that one person to church. Or maybe God's calling you to finally share the gospel with that person you've built up a relationship with over time, whether that's work or just a friend, that you keep chickening out on over and over and over. Or maybe, just maybe, it's a position, it's a situation that's much more like Abraham's. And it's a big life decision. Maybe it's a new job opportunity. If you are a kingdom person in this room, you say you are a follower of Jesus, you think with a kingdom mind that thinks about what God is doing in the world and not just what, how he wants to bless you individually and we get kind of consumed with ourselves and our walks with Jesus. If we're going to be kingdom people, and we're going to look at job opportunities. Where God is calling you doesn't always mean a pay bump. Where God is calling you doesn't always mean a promotion. I love it, and I think it's absolutely hilarious when people are trying to figure out where God is calling them to next in life, and it always comes with a big chunk of change. Of course you think God's calling you to that. Why wouldn't you? That doesn't mean that he won't. It doesn't mean that he won't bless you at whatever the next step, next stage of life is, but as kingdom people, sometimes God is going to call us into harder situations that don't make sense when it comes to paying the bills, that don't make sense as far as a career ladder goes, but that do make sense in the kingdom, in the kingdom being displayed, and what God is at work doing in your life, and what God is at work in doing in other people's lives. Maybe you're supposed to take a pay bump so that someone else can enter into eternity. I'll tell you this, you're not going to take any of the money you have now into heaven. The only thing you'll take with you are the souls that you share the gospel with alongside you. Be a good steward, not just of your money, but with the ministry that God has given you. Maybe it's a big move. Maybe that's why some of you are here today, because you followed God's call to move across the country, whether that was for work, whether that was for family, whether that was just for a fresh start. And for some of you, God may be calling you away. And you may not be able to explain that away. I want you to know that's all right. Sometimes when God calls us to things, it doesn't always make sense. 
but the Holy Spirit makes it known in our heart through wisdom, through discernment. This is it. God, I don't know what you're calling me into right now, but I'm going to trust you and trust that what you have ahead of us is the best for the kingdom and is best for our family and trusting in you. I think we get a little caught up, though. I think we get a little caught up a lot of times on the going and the doing that sometimes we forget that God could just be calling us to stay. And that's uncomfortable because that's the same old, same old of what we have already been doing. Maybe in God saying stay, what he's actually saying and what he's actually working in you is be content. Find your worth in me and not what you do, not where you live, not your job title, not how much money you make, not how much you're able to provide. Maybe you find your worth in who I say that you are. Maybe God is saying, not yet. Maybe God is saying, let me finish doing in you what I'm at work doing in your heart right now so that you'll be ready for that next step when I call you to go there. That grass is going to stay greener until you get there. But I'm doing something in your life right now. And if you jump ship right now and you just go run off over there, you're not going to be ready. And you're not going to be ready for the season and for the ministry that I have for you once you get there. So now we ask the question, how do I know what God is telling me to do? How do I decipher this? How do I discern this? For Abram, man, wouldn't that be sweet? God just calls down from the clouds. Hey, buddy. I know you don't have any kids, but I'm going to make you a great nation. All right, cool, dude. <laughs> you want me to go over there? All right, I'm going. I haven't heard a voice for, you know, since I went super dehydrated for two weeks last month. But yeah, I'm on the way now. I think it'd be so much easier if God just spoke to us from the heavens. But he doesn't. Not in the same way as he did in the Old Testament. See, today, when we enter into relationship with Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes wisdom, comes discernment, comes experience beyond our years, beyond our wildest imagination, comes understanding and illumination of God's Word. And God gives us the Scripture. You want to know what God's calling you to do? He's never going to call you to do something that goes in contrast with the Bible, with His Word. It will never go against Scripture because God will not contradict Himself. God will never call you in to sin. He won't do it. We have prayer. We have a line to God, just like Abram did. It's just a little less audible. But when God, when we speak to God, we stop, we listen, and he speaks back to us in our hearts. We have each other. We have sound wisdom and counsel among peers. We have the teaching and the preaching of the word. So once a month, twice every six weeks, you'll get to hear from Peter or Jacob, and you'll get to know what God's saying in your life. Until then, you're going to have to keep putting up with this nonsense, all right? When it comes to God's call, I do want to say this before we move on. It will rarely be convenient, but it will always be the best, and you can count on that. It will rarely be convenient for you. It will rarely ever be comfortable God doesn't grow us when we're comfortable. He grows us in our discomfort. We see that all throughout the word. But it will always be the best. And it's important to ask yourself, am I running to something or am I running away from something? 
am I just trying to get out of this job because I'm tired of my boss and I'm tired of the people I work with and I'm tired of the way I get treated? Well, all of a sudden, I so conveniently feel God calling me to something over here. What a convenient escape. But God I know is into reconciliation. He's into redemption. He's into restoration. Let him work those things out over here before you run off into something else. And make sure you're never running away from this thing, but you're running to the next thing that he's called you to. So, in Abraham's obedience, there was a covenant entered into with God that he would be a blessing. And if you are in Jesus today, you are a part of that covenant. So, we have to ask ourselves, am I being a blessing? Am I being a blessing in my presence? Am I actually being present? Am I offering myself up when it's needed? Or am I escaping my role and my responsibilities? Am I being a blessing with my people? Am I embracing the role that God has called me to, that God has dropped me into, to bless them with love, to bless them with service, to bless them with godly leadership, to bless them with humble submission? Am I being a blessing in my places? the places that I go, where I live? Am I living intentionally? Am I living on purpose? Am I living to lead other people to Jesus? And does my mindset reflect this? Does my attitude reflect this? Do my actions reflect this? Here's a good test. Would a coworker say that you are a blessing? Would your wife would your husband say that you are a blessing? Would your kids say that you are a blessing? I think a lot of times we can really easily fool ourselves. Man, I'm super blessing to everybody. I'm like the hardest worker here. Uh, super athletic. Don't have to use that very much, but you know, if it ever comes in, I'm, I'm going to go clutch for these people. Uh, work hard. I show up first. I leave last. Um, sometimes I don't even take lunch. We start to think and fool ourselves. Yeah, we got this. I'm the man. I'm the woman. You're the woman. We fool ourselves. And we think that we are the blessing that we actually aren't. So through the eyes of others, and through our actions and the words that come out of our mouths, are we actually a blessing? I think maybe for some of us, we've stepped out in faith and we've stepped out in trusting God, but we quickly realize that living it out is hard. I want you to see that in living it out, in stepping out in faith, that God blesses brokenness, and God puts things back together. We see this in our second point today. Abraham still messed up. Take a deep sigh of relief. God is calling you. Maybe everybody has completely disqualified themselves from God's call already because you are not what? Perfect. Man, if God only called perfect people, we'd still be trying to figure out how Jesus was going to get into the world. All right? Who did God call? To be the very beginning of Jesus entering into the world, he called a broken, messed up man. Bless you. You're good. Hey, allergies are crazy right now, okay? We understand. Genesis 16, 1 through 5, we see just how messed up the situation is. We see even before this, Abraham, or Abram at this point, messes up over and over and over. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. 
It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, yeah, first of all, that was a crazy idea, okay? Let's just process that. And then let's process them processing that for 10 years, okay? Bad idea, crazy idea. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. 10 years in between, it actually starts to take place. So, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. First of all, woman, this was your idea. What you talking about? (laughs) The wrong done to me. I was being obedient as a husband. You're going to get me in trouble? All right. Well, he was an idiot forever going along with it. Sorry. He was a silly willy. Continued in verse 5, I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. As messed up, as royally messed up as this situation is, God redeems it. God made a promise to them that he would give them children that would outnumber the stars in the sky. And what did they do? They did the same thing that we do over and over and over, and they doubted that promise. And what did they do? They did the same thing that we do over and over and over. They took God's plan into their own hands. And they say, God, you are not working on my timetable. You are not working on my clock. You are late according to what I believe you should be doing in my life. So I am going to make this happen for you. And what happens? A mistress steps into the picture. A son is had. that wasn't his wife's. The one who God said he was going to multiply to all the world. And what does God do? Were there consequences? Yes, for sin there's always consequences. But what does God do? Thank goodness for Abram, for Sarai. Thank goodness for me. Thank goodness for you. God still redeemed it. We see that Abraham's mess-ups didn't disqualify him from God's plan. See, God is all-knowing. God knew that Abraham would make that mistake. You know what? He still chose Abram to be his man. He still chose Abram to be the one that would be the beginning of Jesus, the Messiah, entering into the world. So what does that mean for us? For us, it's pretty simple. We can't be qualified for something. We can't be disqualified from something if we weren't actually ever qualified for it to start with. We were never qualified for God's plan from the start. We see Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin disqualifies us from the very beginning. But here's where the qualifier comes in. And his name is Jesus. God's mercy, God's grace brings us back into the picture. We see this 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul writes, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Jesus takes our sin, we take his righteousness. How fair is that? Absolutely unfair. From disqualified to now qualified through the work of Jesus on the cross in his sacrifice, being the perfect, ultimate sacrifice for our sin, putting us in right relationship with God. We receive God's grace through Jesus, and he invites us into his bigger story, and he gives us a part to play. I think there's a lot of times where we set out in life and we know the direction God wants us to go, but we don't really ask him how we're going to get there. We just take off. I can equate this to pretty much every time I get in the car with my wife to a destination we've not been to before. I get in the truck, she gets in the truck, girls are in the truck or the van. I try not to drive the van as much as possible, but we take off and I think I know where we're going. And so I confidently take a turn that is unfortunately the wrong direction. But I'm the man, and so I'm going to confidently take six more wrong turns until we end up 45 minutes away from where we actually needed to be. You know what I needed to do the whole time? Was just turn on Google Maps. Don't turn on Apple Maps. Apple Maps will try to kill you, okay? (laughs) happened to us. Is this bridge not finished? Yeah, it turns out we should go in reverse now. Apple Maps is devil maps. Google Maps will get you where you need to go. All I needed to do the whole time was address the GPS. But you know what? No matter how far off course I veer, no matter how confidently I wonder and is wrong, I can still go right back to the GPS. And the GPS is going to get me back to that destination. And that's how God works in our life through grace, through mercy, no matter how much we have messed up, he always brings us back. Any wrong direction can be rerouted if you go back to the GPS. Any wrong turn in life can be rerouted if you go back to God. Abraham messed up. But you know what? Abraham went back to God and he stayed dependent on God. And you know what God did in Abraham's life? He was still the father of God's people. He was still a great nation. The Messiah would still come from his bloodline. So where are the wrong turns in our lives? What do we need to hand over to the Lord to redirect and reroute us? Was it a divorce? Was it multiple divorces? Was it a marriage that's hanging on by a thread? Is it parenting and just not knowing what you're doing or realizing I've done it wrong all these years or realizing my chance in parenting is already up and it's gone away? Is it in friendships? Is it decisions that you've made on the job? Is it an impaired decision that you made one night that you regretted for the rest of your life? Is it something that you did with the wrong people? I want you to know whatever it was, God can redeem it. So we have to ask ourselves the questions, are we allowing God to redeem it? Are we allowing God to redirect it? We give it to him, and we don't continue in the wrong direction anymore. We submit ourselves to him. We identify where we went wrong. We lay that at his feet. We ask him for forgiveness from that, and we continue in his direction. Are we realizing that God can still use it? Yeah, you've done some terrible things. I have too. You've had some terrible things done to you. Me too. You're not disqualified. 
God can still use it. And God wants to use it. And I'm sorry that that happened. I'm sorry that you did that. I'm sorry that I did those things. I'm sorry those things happened to me. But don't take that away from God to use it in the life of someone else. Then we have to ask our questions. Are we just disqualifying ourselves from God's grace over and over and over by saying he can never use me? He can never call me to anything. I've messed up too much. I'm too broken. He absolutely can we got a whole nother point in probably 20 minutes of this message. We're going to stop here. We're going to continue next week. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, I pray this morning as a church that we would be obedient. Just as Abram, I thought he was going to be Abraham by the end of this message today. He's not going to be. Maybe he will be next week. But God, that we would be like Abram and that we would be obedient. And when you call us to do things in your word, especially the no-brainers, God, that we would not be disobedient by delaying our obedience, but we would see that you have what is best for us at heart. And God, as your people, you have what is best for you on the table. And we need to pursue that. So Father, help us not to delay our obedience and be disobedient. Just because we're not feeling it, just because it's not in our comfort zone, let us be faithful to you. Let us, just like Abram, be used by you and let us pick up everything that we have, if it is what you call us to, at the drop of a hat and go. Father, thank you that you call broken, messed up people, people that aren't perfect. Father, I pray that in our imperfection, in our brokenness, in our sin, this morning that we find loving grace and embrace in your son Jesus in his perfect life that had no sin where he became the ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross I pray that we would realize that I pray that we would embrace that I pray that we would trust in him to be the Lord to be the savior of our lives not just saving us from sin but saving us from your wrath that we deserve. And Father, that we would walk forward in forgiveness and embrace the love that you have for us, the plan that you have for us. And God, do not allow us to disqualify ourselves because of what we think, but allow us to see the truth. And that's that we were never good enough, but Jesus made us enough when we received his righteousness and he took our sin and died for it. Father, if there's someone in this room today that is yet to enter into relationship with you, I pray that you would give them the boldness and the courage to let us know. If that is you in here this morning, I, pr- I pray that you would come find me after service. We would talk about what a relationship with Jesus looks like. If you have a next step, whether it's baptism, whether it's serving, whether it's getting plugged into a group, let us know on the Connect card. Turn it in before you leave. Or come talk to me. Come talk to Jacob. Obedience is crucial in our lives, and our walks with Jesus, and in the life of the church. Father, thank you for using broken people. Thank you for sending Jesus to make us whole, to redeem us, to restore us, and thank you for giving us a purpose and a role in your kingdom. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.